The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. Alabama wins! What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to a link edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. The N is for naysayer, because college. Saturday night in Tuscaloosa was kind of a big deal for a team nine weeks into its playoff run. Evolved offense, defense rising to the occasion, a raucous home crowd, physical play, I see you Dallas Turner, record-setting scoring, revenge tour complete, and a dandy birthday gift for a man who drives Ferraris only on Wednesday. Was it perfect? No, that's not even the goal. What was it? It was a wake-up call. Hey, college football, it's Alabama. We're back. Not to go all gender bender on you, but Milrow coming off the bye was like that summer in your early teens. You know the one where so many things seem to have developed. An accurate screen passing game here, nifty big play, wheel routes, improved short passing game, triple option running threat, tush-push variant, and an uncanny patience waiting for just another beat on the play because you know the receiver is about to flash open. That's straight Tua and Bryce. Again, not perfect. There was an early sack. There was an ugly overthrow out of the end zone. And there was another end end zone pass into triple coverage that wasn't nearly as bad as it first seemed. Go back and check that one again. Incredible scheming, incredible play calling, and execution. Jalen Milrow kind of outdueled one of the best quarterbacks this season in LSU, Jaden Daniels. Check out the stats. Jaden was 15 of 24 for 219. Jalen was 15 of 23 for 219. 
Jaden had two touchdowns and an interception passing. Jalen had no touchdowns, no interceptions passing. Jaden had 11 carries. Jalen, 20 carries. Jaden Daniels, 163 yards to Jalen Milrose, 155 yards. Daniels had one touchdown. Jalen had four. Four rushing touchdowns, first time ever by an Alabama quarterback. And this is a team that played the option and the wishbone in the 70s. Both players were their respective teams leading passers and rushers. That's pretty dang impressive, too. Jalen Milrow was the man in ways I didn't think it was possible back in the spring and summer. So tip of the cap and apologies to Milrow, uh, well-deserved. He's leading this team, and the team is a reflection of him. Physical, tenacious, responsive, improving, and damn it, just having fun. I was talking to fans before the game, and shout out to Dalton GA. And I said, you know, this Alabama team, I think, needs to rely on the running game. If Alabama can run 225 to 250 yards uh, and win the time of possession, that's the recipe for this team winning the game against LSU. And as it turns out, Alabama ran ran for 288 yards and had a seven-minute advantage in the time of possession. But the Alabama offense was also 11 for 14 on third down conversions and only one punt on the night. That's pretty damn impressive. Masterful play calling, masterful scheming, leaning away from the boomer bust long passing game, and still adding up uh, 507 yards uh, offensively on the day. Pretty damn impressive. Uh, the running backs, I thought, had a really good day. Jace, uh, 14 carries. That's more than I specifically remember him catching or carrying uh, during the game. But Jace had 14 yards, uh, 60, or 14 carries, 63 yards, one touchdown. Roy Dell, he only had six carries, but he blasted for 56 yards and had a couple of really nice long runs. He also had a touchdown. His average was almost 10. He was almost a first down waiting to happen at 9.3. Uh, Jermarian Miller had four carries, and gosh, it felt like he had more than that. He had four carries uh, for 17 yards. Two-thirds of the running plays, uh, or two-thirds of the offensive plays were running plays, and that includes Milrose, Milrose running as well. But the game and the offensive game plan seemed much more balanced than that. It didn't seem like it was stilted uh, so heavily to the run. There were multiple times where I thought Alabama needs to run the ball here and continually put the ball in the air. And to come back and look at the stats and say, well, two-thirds of the plays were running plays, I was really surprised to see that. That wasn't sort of the impression that I got uh, experience in the game, you know, sort of live in Tuscaloosa. Uh, wide receivers, uh, eight receivers had catches. Uh, which, again, is a significant number or a big number considering there were only 15 completions to be had. So Milrow continues to, to distribute the ball. He may lock on a receiver in a given play. A lot of quarterbacks do that. But he doesn't lock on a receiver for the game. He knows where he wants to go with the ball every play, and every play it seemingly is someone different. I noticed this, and, and it seems that uh, we've said this before, uh, but Milrow hit a receiver, a running back, multiple running backs, and a wide receiver. So he's he's hit the trifecta again in terms of eligible receivers. And I want to go back, and it seems like he has hit the trifecta in that regard every week. And uh, I don't even think Bryce did that. Uh, so that's pretty dang uh, impressive. Of course, Bryce was going downfield uh, to a lot of receivers, and it was a different receiver core. But nonetheless, Milrow is not afraid to uh, spread the ball around 
uh, even on uh, a limited uh, completion profile. So I thought that was uh, pretty dang impressive. Isaiah Bond is another revolution. He had five receptions uh, for 60 yards. He is an emerging weapon, uh, especially so uh, in the first half. Uh, and in fact, during the game, I was thinking I might have to incorporate uh, Isaiah Bond into the intro, but uh, uh, he kind of sort of subsided the rest of the game, uh, especially as Alabama went more and more uh, to the running game. But Isaiah Bond is an incredible talent, and he's going to be, uh, be a player to watch uh, sort of down the home stretch here. The offensive line, I mean, it's as simple as this. I think they had their best performance of the season. Uh, I think if you looked at the last three to four to five games, you might say the same thing week over week. It seems that we've already said this uh, before on the podcast. And so if last week was your best game and the week before that was your best game and this week is your best game, all you're doing is trending in the right direction. And that's the feeling I get uh, the impression I get from this offensive line. Uh, Caden Proctor, again, it seemed like played the full game, so there was no uh, rotation with Pritchard. Uh, that's two games in a row where that's been true, uh, and it's been the only two games of the season where that's been true. So, again, we're talking about a, uh, a positive trend line here. Seth McLaughlin, uh, just to keep his name in the headline, had a, had a bad snap, a singular uh, bad snap, and it wasn't the most egregious of bad snaps is, that he's had this season. Again, we're talking about a trend line of progress. And for all the people out there who say we need to sit Seth McLaughlin, I'm going to remind you, and if you listen to the podcast, this is one of the drinking game things. I go back and I remind, I remind us all about Seth McLaughlin. This is his third year as a starter for Alabama football. The last two. Now, this season is the first season that he started the first game and has started every game throughout the season. The last two seasons, uh, Dalkert started the season and the line faltered. And one of the changes the coaching staff made was to insert Seth McLaughlin at center. And from those points in the season, each of the last two seasons, it's not one data point, it's two separate data points. In each of the last two seasons, you could your grandmother watching the game could tell that the line was playing better with Seth McLaughlin in at center. And again, we said the same thing. He's good for a bad snap a game, but the way he settles the offensive line is it's impressive. And what's funny is this year we don't have the comparison. We don't have where somewhere else started, someone else started for three or four games, and we see the elevation this season like we did in the other season. So so we never complained about the the snaps for two years because we had the visual landmark of improved play across the line. Here, we just have the improved play across the offensive line, an offensive line that's continuing to, to improve. We just don't have the basis where the line was was not playing well under with another player at center. Uh, look, this offensive line hasn't been great shakes all season, but it hasn't been really the the fault of the center, and uh, I'm convinced that this line is getting better. We also talked about Seth McLaughlin having an injury uh, on his wrist, and I think he is progressing uh, from that. I think as we get into the second half of the season, he is getting the treatment on that and certainly coming off a bye week. So I don't fault him the one bad snap. Uh, I just want us to re-baseline hey, what did we have when someone else played center? And frankly, that other person was Darian Dalcourt. 
uh, and Darian Dalcourt right now is not able to regain uh, the guard position. Whether or not he's still injured or he's been wildly pipped, it, you know, it almost doesn't matter. Uh, but the point is, I don't think he's about to come back and, and take Seth McLaughlin's job. Uh, so let's just keep that in mind. And again, that's not us mad at Dalcourt. Uh, it's just sort of the situation as we see it unfold. And, you know, we kind of like to call it like, like we see it. Uh, Tyler Booker and Jaden Roberts are a very dynamic duo at the guard uh, position. Uh, I saw someone in a chat room sort of post, are they the best? And I think they said it more declaratively. Uh, that's the best guard tandem that Saban has had at Alabama. And that's an interesting statement. Uh, we've certainly had some good guards. I really like Mike Johnson. I really like uh, uh, Chance Warmack, uh, uh, you know, Cornbread, uh, Deontay Brown. We've had some guards that I've really, really liked. We've also had star tackles that have started at guard. Uh, so I want to go back and sort of profile that. But Tyler Booker and Jaden Roberts, it's hard to argue uh, with those. And if you've not seen the picture sort of first player off the bus, uh, with Jaden Roberts, oh dude, he he, uh, you got to check that out. He he is uh, he's a fierce looking player, and uh, we're glad to have him on our squad. Uh, it's interesting to see, and again, we'll say this again, right? It's interesting to think that he was the third team guard coming into the season, and uh, the contribution that he's made to the offensive line. Uh, I think is certainly material as well. All right, let's do mini game ball for offense. And guess what? It's going to be uh, Jamarian Miller. That's my hometown pick, or not a hometown pick, but that's sort of a, a personal favorite pick. I've I've been a Jamarian uh, uh, sort of supporter for quite a while. Uh, most of last season, I talked uh, real heavily on him about getting him into the rotation. Uh, strong running, uh, running on Saturday again. Only four carries, but he was strong runner, uh, as you know we've advertised. He had a nice reception on the wheel route. He's the the character who uh, made that play. Looked really, really good. Oh, I thought he was going to bust it, but he didn't go quite all the way. But it was a tremendous uh, big play. You know, I talked about it felt like he had more carries than just the four. He had a lot more plays than the four uh, rushes and the one reception. Uh, he more than one time, multiple times on blitz pickup, uh, he was Johnny on the spot, making big plays, uh, allowing uh, allowing Milrow to, to keep the play alive, so allowing Alabama to keep the play alive. So Jamari Miller really, really stepped up. Hope to see lots and lots more uh, of him as this season uh, progresses. And look, that may start as early as next um, uh, as next Saturday, and I've got a little prediction on that as we get further along. <laughs> Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. All right, let's flip the field like we do, and uh, let's talk defense. And I've got a couple disclaimers that I want to start with uh, on defense. Um, not excuses, uh, but let's contextualize some of what we saw on defense. I think we might argue that this is Alabama's worst defensive performance since Texas, and the numbers in some regard, I, th I think, support that. But I, th I think this contextualized this a little bit. Uh, Jaden Daniels is a Heisman candidate. Not was a Heisman candidate. He is a Heisman candidate. 
I would venture to say that even in the loss, even in being knocked out of the game, he may have improved his candidacy because of what he was able to do against Alabama, a rising tide Alabama, if you will. Jaden Roberts is a Heisman candidate, and he certainly uh, torched uh, Alabama at, at spots. So I do think he remains a Heisman candidate and in a weird way may have buoyed his performance, uh, although the kid in Washington certainly had a big day as well. Play calling, uh, I liked some of the things LSU did with their play calling, uh, particularly more than once. They would motion a receiver across the inventory, uh, across the uh, across uh, the lineup, and it very much reminded me of of Sark and um, and Devonta, where we would move him to create the you know recognizing it was it was one on one. We would move him around to create the separation, and Devonta at full speed coming off the line of scrimmage when the ball is snapped, um, he's you know right there has steps on the defender, and. LSU certainly did that uh, multiple times on Saturday. Uh, you know, the defender trying to keep up sort of gets lost in the wash because there's linebackers and there's other DBs, and it's harder for uh, the defender in, in that regard to come across the formation than it is for a wide receiver because wide receivers, you the offense has to line up. You have to, you have, to have seven men on the line of scrimmage, and if you know where the quarterback is getting the snap, then you have the whole rest of the field to move around. No one's sort of in your way. Defense is always sort of moving, and there's linebackers, uh, you know, backing up or coming forward. A DB's coming back, and so you know, coming forward. And so when you're trying to go across the formation, you're going through uh, a potentially a live traffic lane uh, that doesn't exist in the same way on uh, on offense. And so you use that to create uh, separation offenses do. And certainly LSU, again, I'm not making excuses for Alabama's play, uh, but I am suggesting that maybe we grade it a little bit on a curve. Uh, do think about these stats. Alabama uh, forced LSU uh, four of nine on third downs, uh, O of two on fourth downs. Saban caused those turnovers. Uh, and so that's a, a couple of turnovers there, if you will. Six pass deflections. That's significant. Uh, one resulting in a critical interception, a critical turnover that allowed Alabama to score, uh, go up by two scores, really sort of break serve there. Uh, that was a critical play. LSU had no running game beyond Daniels. I know that's a qualifier, uh, but there was no running game for LSU beyond Daniels. And one thing to keep in mind is there's not another running quarterback of note pre-playoffs. We can talk about the the uh, Florida State uh, quarterback being a runner. I don't think he's a runner on Jaden Daniels' level. And for us to have the opportunity to play Florida State, well, we've already won at that point. So uh, there's not a running back of note left on Alabama's schedule pre-playoffs. And so that's a nice thing to think about. Uh, we talked about the critical uh, turnover and the physical play, uh, and again, you know, we see Dallas Turner uh, on that. This defense also battled through adversity. Jalen Key went out uh, in the first quarter. Now, I think we need to find uh, a reserve. Uh, we need to audition reserve players for Key if he's not going to get back. Uh, I'm recording Monday night. I missed the presser, so I haven't heard the latest and greatest on that. And so if Key's coming back, great. Uh, if he's going to miss some time, then Alabama needs to find someone uh, to fit that bill. Is it Christian Story? Not according to Saturday, but he can be coached up. Is it Des Ricks? Is it Jake Pope? Is it someone else? Uh, I think that's well worth keeping an eye on 
uh, at that uh, safety position. Uh, Deontay Lawson also went out uh, again early in the game, went out on the on a um, second quarter play, uh, and we felt his loss. Alabama felt his loss when he missed uh, a game or two earlier in the season, and you could tell the defense really picked it up the week that he came back. And so we're hoping uh, Deontay Lawson gets back to the field um, sooner than later uh, with full health, and uh, we'll see uh, we'll see how that goes. I do like Tresman Marshall and Jihad Campbell in, in in sort of backup roles. I like them better now than I did earlier in the season, just time on field uh, and the reps that they've gotten. So that's been significant. Uh, but Deontay Lawson, I, I, we don't have a linebacker better than Deontay Lawson. And so, uh, especially in his ability to set the field and read the play, uh, we have physical uh, specimens, but we don't have another Deontay Lawson. And so we need him back as soon as possible. Uh, but I think we can keep the seat warm with the talent that we have, uh, certainly on the field. So we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, again, uh, the press conference may have already come out where we talk about these players coming back or what the situation is. So I don't have that at the it, at my fingertips at the, at the time of recording, but uh, certainly something to th- think about. Uh, let's talk about individual performances. Holy moly, Caleb Downs uh, was in on 13 tackles. Uh, Justin Aboibe, look, I'm just going to celebrate this. Um, I wanted to sneak him into a mini game ball, but his performance was too just too outsized. And it's exactly what we predicted. Uh, just And again, it's just because of the dialogue, right? We're not tooting any horns any more than we're just saying, man, we like being dialed in on this stuff and we like kind of calling it because isn't that just damn fun? And so, you know, the Justin Boyby story, is this a drinking game story? I don't know, but we talked about, you know, he was bursting on the seams at the time that he got injured last season. And if we can get back to full sort of ready to go, then he's going to burst on the seams uh, on the scene uh, this season, and he's starting to do that. We're starting to see it. Uh, we've called him out the last couple of games, and uh, Justin was in on six tackles, and he had Alabama's lone sack uh, on Saturday. Again, Daniels is a tough cat to bring down, and uh, Boyby did it one uh, on uh, one play, and it was certainly nice. Terry and Arnold had another good day. Terry and Arnold just seems to be stacking good days. Uh, five tackles, two pass deflections. And he had an interception. It was phenomenal. Uh, again, that was that pivotal turnover that really sort of uh, reset the game, uh, sort of broke serve. Uh, teams were trading touchdowns, and Terry and Arnold batted the ball, batted it up in the air. Dallas Turner came down with it. Dallas Turner uh, had four tackles. The pass, uh, the the pass deflection that we're talking about that led to the interception and one jarring hit. You know, you could reason Dallas Turner had a quiet day until he didn't. And uh, there were a couple of times I was like, Dallas, make us a play, make us a play, make us a play. Uh, in on four tackles, that's a smallish number uh, for a defensive end or outside linebacker. But he got that pass deflection, and you say, I'll take that, and that's a game that's, that's a game winner. Uh, and then he had the jarring hit uh, on Daniels, the quarterback. Now, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter, and I've been a little bit active on Twitter, more than or X, whatever the hell it is now, more so than I typically am. But I've been a little bit frustrated at everyone just sort of piling on, oh, the officials and giving it to Alabama. Look, I don't think it was, I do not think it was targeting. He did not lead with the crown of his helmet. In fact, the crown of his helmet was uh, was, was facing in the other direction, never touched him with the crown of his helmet. Uh, you could reason, if you go back and look at it really slow, that he actually led with his shoulder pads. And the first contact, the initial contact of Daniels, 
was with uh, with with shoulder pads. Now he ran through the tackle, and what did we all learn in high school football? You tackle the spot six inches behind the guy that you're tackling, not the guy, but the six inches behind him. So you're running through the guy, and in that way, in that regard, it was textbook. Now, was it violent? Oh hell yeah. Was it physical? Oh hell yeah. Should there have been a flag thrown? In today's sort of sensitive world, I'm not surprised that there was a flag thrown. Although I think it was a textbook play that that should that should happen without there being a flag. And that's not me rooting for injury or unnecessary violence. Uh, but it's a violent sport uh, at times, and especially when you got a free shot on on a quarterback that's standing there uh, ready for you to take his picture. So it was a 15 yard penalty. Uh, I don't think I it wasn't targeting. Uh, I'll give you the 15 yards uh, if you know that's what sensitivities are, but uh, I don't think it was particularly dirty. Now Dallas has a little bit of a reputation. I'm going to acknowledge this here. Uh, he has a little bit of a reputation because he has done some things on the other side of the whistle. Uh, he hit Quinn Ewers. Uh, I don't think that the hit that knocked out Quinn was was necessarily bad. Uh, it's been over a year ago, so I'm not going to remember all the specifics on that. But I know that he has done things, uh, you know, pulling a face mask or pushing someone down after the after the play. He has done some things that even he would admit that he wishes that he hadn't have done. He just plays on the edge with uh, with a level of emotion. That's not an excuse. It's just the reality. He plays on that edge, and, and defensive coaches want players to play to that edge and sometimes step across it. And that's that's the real estate that Dallas Turner plays in. Uh, again, it was vicious. It was violent. Uh, it injured Daniels. We don't root for injuries around here. Uh, but sometimes, sometimes they happen. Sometimes they're an, an output output or product uh, of the game. I don't think it was targeting. I just think it was a. <laughs> I just think it was a hell of physical hit. And uh, so Dallas Turner, we spent some time talking about him. Alabama did hold LSU to seven points in the second half, but wait, there's more. Alabama held LSU to zero points in the in the last 26 plus minutes of the game. That's nearly almost the entirety of the second half. Uh, LSU scored first possession coming out of half. It was about a three minute 40 uh, second drive, and for the balance of the second half, LSU went scoreless. That's pretty damn impressive uh, by the defense. That is the second half adjustments taking over. Uh, so that's pretty damn impressive to experience. And man, was it fun to watch on Saturday. Uh, Malachi Moore uh, gets my mini game ball. It seemed, you know, he did not show up much in the stat sheet, but man, did he show up on the field and did he, did he contribute to the outcome of the game? Uh, Malachi was in on three tackles. He had a pass deflection, a really nice pass deflection, just kind of reaching out and knocking that ball down on the way in. Uh, but he spent all night lining up people, making sure the other def- other defenders were lined up correctly. And that's why we're giving minigame ball to Malachi Moore. As he continues, I say first-round draft pick. I would have drafted Brian Branch in the first round last year. He went early second. I think late first, early second is where Malachi Moore goes uh, in this year's NFL draft. And week after week after week, even if he's not filling up the stat sheet, if you watch what he's doing on the field, he's playing damn good football. And he is ensuring that his comrades uh, on the defensive side of the ball are lined up and ready to play as well. So hats off to Malachi Moore. Uh, He's certainly been a, a favorite of mine the last couple of years. 
All right, let's talk about special teams. Will Reichert was 0 for 2 on field goals, and I'm just going to tell you this. If you put through, if you if you started to stack up, and we talked about the running game. I said, you know, if Alabama can do this uh, on uh, the running game in time of possession, then that's the recipe uh, to, to, to win the game, for Alabama to win. If he said, yeah, but Alabama's going to miss two field goals, now what do you think? I would have said probably it's those two field goals that cost us the game. That's what I would have said. Uh, so Will Riker going 0 for 2 on field goals. Uh, whew, I'm glad I didn't know that was going to happen because um, I would have been much more edge of my seat. Uh, but he missed two field goals. It was his first two kicks of the season, and, boy, he missed both of them against LSU. Uh, though he also was 6 for 6 on PATs. Uh, so that was uh, that was fun. Uh, it was good to see him pile up some more points. Uh, Will Reichert crossed the 500-point mark in career scoring. That is the most ever for a kicker in the NCAA uh, history. So the two players that are ahead of him are non-kickers. And so he's still 30-ish points away. I wish it were 24 uh, if he had made those two kicks. But uh, nonetheless, he's, he's tr- he continues to trend to the all-time record. And his Alabama fans were rooting for nothing more than that. James Burnup, I think, had the perfect stat line that I would ever want a punter to have, ever. He had one punt, so he gets to trot out there and do his deal for 50 yards, and he planted the ball inside the 20, and he had the rest of the day off. Uh, I think that's beautiful. I love it. And and that was Alabama's first possession of the game, so he literally had the rest of the day off. And so we're going to come out, first possession, damn it, you have to punt, uh, but we're going to drill it 50 yards uh, inside the 20, and then sit down, punter. Actually, if you want to go to dinner with your girlfriend, go for it because we don't need you the rest of the day. That is a good stat line for a punter. So there you go. Uh, Kool-Aid uh, McKinstry fielded uh, two punts. He had no returns, uh, but he fielded punts. And I'm not trying to do sort of an ironic or satirical cheer when I say that. Um, against Tennessee, Kool-Aid had a bad day uh, returning punts, and Alabama lost quite a number of yards uh, as a result. So the fact that we were able to possess the ball uh, on a punt, on a uh, possession transfer, uh, as early uh, or as far upfield as absolutely possible, wherever that ball comes down is where it comes down, and to possess it right there where it uh, where it comes down, uh, that's the right answer. That's what you want your punt returner to do. That's job one, and Kool-Aid executed that to uh, perfection on Saturday. That was phenomenal. Uh, Kendrick Law, he had 77, he was credited for 77 yards on three returns. Now, we know that's an inflated number because of the way we look at part returns. But, and I don't allow for this caveat very often, but damn, he was close to breaking a couple of those. Uh, There were two where he was especially close uh, to breaking. It looked like one or two guys to beat uh, as he was heading uh, upfield and his speed was such that if he could if he could get past that that last tackle if he could get past that guy he's he's off to the races because uh, Kendrick Law is 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 certainly that talented in that position so I still sort of let's take the ball in the 25 and live to fight another day you know the fact that he had 77 yards on three returns that sounds like getting the ball at the 25. Uh, I know we, I'm playing with numbers a little bit because he didn't catch them all on the goal line. But uh, nonetheless, the point is not too far off. But I like, I will say this, I like seeing the capability to potentially bust one. I like knowing that's in the tank. 
Now we know as fans it's on the tank and guess in the tank. And guess what? So do our future opponents. Uh, so that's something uh, to think about. Kendrick Law is close. And uh, it, there's a little bit of – well, not just a little bit. There's a, there's scheming that goes into kick returns. And uh, I think perhaps Alabama saw something. And I think perhaps Alabama wanted to put the nail in the coffin with some of those returns. So, uh, plus confidence in the offense. So, uh, we'll see how that plays out. But Kendrick Law, he's going to be one to, uh, to to watch out for. If he continues to take them out at the – I'll say this. If he takes them out at the clip that he did Saturday, he'll break one. Now – in the math, is it worth it? I don't know. You kind of know where I am on that. But uh, it's still fun. I mean, kickoff returns for touchdowns are damn fun plays. So Kendrick Law, uh, hats off. All right, next up, Alabama travels to Lexington to face the 6-3 and three, uh, Kentucky Wildcats. And in some regards, and you see all, you know, all the sort of the hot takes, that this sets up for a trap game for Alabama. And I see the logic... And I see the jump to conclusion uh, that might be made there. And I'm just going to tell you, this Alabama team, this Alabama team, I trust their leadership. I trust their resolve. I trust their competitive maturity to prevent this from being a a so what game, from being a trap game, from being a, a let's settle game, from being a fallback game, from being a whoops game. The leadership and competitive maturity that this team possesses, I think, is going to rise to the occasion. This is a team, we talked about it in the intro, this is a team that's been on its playoff run for nine weeks since it lost uh, to Texas early in the season. No margin for, for victory for all this time. That is mentally grating. Beat Tennessee, revenge game. Beat LSU, revenge game. Big game in Tuscaloosa. Both games uh, off the bye week. This home stretch, I think the team's going to take 24 hours after the LSU game. They might take 36, but they're going to come out to practice Monday and Tuesday, and they're going to reset themselves and they're going to be ready for Kentucky. This is the first road game for this team in over a month. Uh, it feels like Texas A&M was a long time ago, and that was Alabama's last road game. So I think there's going to be some newness, some novelty, some excitement. Uh, that this team is going to carry into this game. It's still a young team. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited about what this Alabama squad is going to bring uh, to Lexington. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I am predicting a 45-14 to 14 style game. So as, as firmly as I do trust the leadership and maturity of this team, the resolve of this team, I, I'm sort of metaphorically putting my chips behind that. I think Alabama is an 11-point favorite, whatever the line is, and I think you, you take the over on that. Uh, you give the points. Uh, I see Alabama 45-14 uh, to 14 style game and uh, looks really good in the process. Uh, I'm also predicting Jamarian Miller gets him a touchdown. Uh, I just I feel I just feel something there, uh, so I feel really good uh, about that. I think we also see uh, Amari Nablack uh, back in the stat sheet. Uh, he was mostly quiet on Saturday, and uh, I bet he comes back and has a pretty good day. But uh, Jamarian Miller uh, with a touchdown, that is the prediction that I'm going to make. I'm going to do this on the fly. I didn't look at this before we recorded uh, so it was a 42-28 to 28 game. So I'm going to our pick sheet and see who was the closest. And I didn't already sort of calculate this out. So 
Um, you know what? I know Chip uh, picked the greatest margin when we did the pick before. Uh, he picked 35 to 17, and so that's a bigger margin than what we experienced, but not that far off. Uh, Tony had the highest score for Alabama, uh, 44 uh, to 34, and so sometimes I give I, I think of getting credit for that. But those might be the closest. Uh, Jono uh, had 28 points for Jono. I'd see again. I didn't do this before, so you guys are having to listen to me sort of struggle through it. Uh, Jono picked the LSU score at uh, 28, and he had 34 for Alabama, so he was off by six there. So maybe Jono again is is the winner. So uh, we'll have to see. Uh, but I tell you what. You know, we'll just have Doug send uh, gifts, uh, you know, award prizes out to uh, to everyone uh, that um, that had close scores. How about that? <clears throat> so there you go, Doug. It's on you. In the meantime, get your bourbon ready for uh, Kentucky and do what we do. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve or just a shout-out, a roll tie. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and, of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tie. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll tie.